Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Today's show is sponsored by Audible, the home of over 150,000 audiobooks. To get a free, yes, free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com forward slash queens and go find yourself something awesome to listen to today. Sign up for a free trial membership at audibletrial.com forward slash queens. And better yet, by doing so, you'll be showing your support for the Queens of England podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Queens of England podcast. Supplemental. Empress Matilda, the daughter, wife, and mother of Henry. All the way back in episode 7, we told the story of Matilda of Boulogne, everyone's favourite all-action badass, sweet-talking, soldier-leading warrior diplomat. She was one of medieval England's most impressive, popular and successful queens, but she was completely overshadowed in her own time and by history in general. Why? Because of the woman who opposed her and her husband, the Empress Matilda. An even more impressive woman, the Empress Matilda would come the closest that any woman came in medieval England to actually being crowned as a queen regnant. Indeed, some, myself including, count her in the list of England's medieval monarchs, the only entry on that list, and not to be repeated for another 400 years. One cannot help but be fascinated by this woman. But enough with the build-up. Let the first supplemental begin. In medieval Western Europe, only three women transcended their gender and ruled their kingdoms on their own as a female king, and all three of them were almost contemporaneous. Uraka of Castile ruled her kingdom largely as a stopgap between the reigns of her father and son, but in the intervening period, she exercised the full powers of a king. On the other side of the Mediterranean, Melisandre of Jerusalem never quite managed the same power as Uraka, but by the standards of the time, she was an extremely powerful figure, wielding far more power than a normal queen consort would. The third of these figures was, through marriage, Melisandre's daughter-in-law. The Empress Matilda, daughter of Henry I, was, out of the three women, the one who aspired to meet the greatest challenge. Matilda was born in 1102, the first child of King Henry I of England and his wife Matilda of Scotland. Unlike her younger brother William, who was groomed to take on the throne, Matilda, like almost all royal daughters, was bred for marriage. At the age of six, a fine husband was found for her, King Henry V of Germany and the Romans. He was arguably the most royal king in all of Europe. For an upstart usurper like Henry I, ruling an upstart conquering royal house, the opportunity to mingle Anglo-Norman blood with that of the German royal house was highly advantageous, especially with the near-constant conflict with the French king. The German king's reason for the match was money. 
Ruling such a vast empire that included Germany, Northern Italy, Bohemia, Austria and Burgundy was a busy and expensive business, and so the rich dowry that Matilda brought was most welcome. He had inherited his title in 1106 from his father Henry IV, who had spent most of his reign fighting with the Pope. If you remember, conflict between kings and popes in this period over a variety of issues, but most commonly the investiture of churchmen, was rampant, and Henry IV had been excommunicated before his death, meaning that he could not be properly buried until a settlement could be reached. This was why Henry was still only king of the Germans and Romans, and not Holy Roman Emperor, as only the Pope had the authority to convey that title, something that he would not do until 1111. In 1110, at the age of eight, Matilda was shipped off to the continent, where she started on her long journey to meet her prospective husband. Henry, at 24, was quite a bit older than his prospective bride, and her status as a minor meant that the marriage could not yet take place. They met in Liège in modern Belgium, and together they travelled east. At Easter, they were formally betrothed at Utrecht, and then they moved on to Mainz, where on the 25th of July, she was formally crowned as queen, even though she was not yet technically married. And when I say crowned, eight-year-old Matilda was physically crowned, even though the enormous jeweled crown was far too large and heavy for her to wear. It was a hugely impressive ceremony, attended by the great and good of the realm, that could trace itself back to Charlemagne and claim the legacy of the Western Roman Empire. This was a definite promotion from being a Norman princess, and it is easy to see how, in later years, she remembered longingly the time when the great and good of the empire came to see her crowned as queen and future empress. She would eventually be formally married to Henry in 1114, after she turned 12, the accepted minimum age for marriage, in a ceremony that even outstripped her coronation, befitting her now position as wife and empress. It was attended by no less than five archbishops, thirty bishops, and five full dukes, along with countless other nobles. According to one observer, quote, So numerous were the wedding gifts which various kings and primates sent to the emperor, and the gifts which the emperor from his own store gave to the innumerable throngs of jesters and jonglers and people of all kinds, that not one of his chamberlains, who received or distributed them, could count them. The new empress was an immediate hit. She was hailed as a beautiful and highly noble girl of unimpeachable character. But she had no intention of just being a human-sized imperial ornament. She wanted to play her role well and to the full. The role of the position of empress in Germany, like in England, was linked to the practice of intercession, and Matilda did so keenly. She made sure that worthy supplicants and petitioners got their audience with the emperor, and was so loved for this role that she gained the nickname of the Good Matilda. Her first big chance to achieve something a little more substantial came in 1118, when, while in Italy, Henry was to attend to an uprising in Germany. A mirror of the tactics used by both William I and Henry I of England, he left his wife in control of part of his realm while he quashed rebellion in another. At the age of 16, Matilda was the temporary regent of Imperial Italy. Now, of course, she wielded power in the name of her husband, and it was only for a brief time, but this was invaluable experience. It can even be argued that this was the high point of her life. Sources are sketchy for her time in the Empire, and we know frustratingly little about what she did, or even where she was for months or even years at a time. We must skip, therefore, to 1125, where Emperor Henry, while on campaign in Flanders, died of a sudden illness. His death was a great shock to everyone. William of Malmesbury says that the 38-year-old was struck down, quote, in the very flower of his age and victories. The 23-year-old Matilda was now a widow. Empress she still may have been, but this was the end of her influence in Germany. 
The couple had had no children. So busy was Henry moving backward and forward across his empire, putting out rebellions during his conflicts with the papacy. This ended the Salian line of emperors, with the Duke of Saxony being elected Emperor Lothar II. With no familial link to the new regime, Matilda was now a stranger in her former court. She therefore left Germany, never to return, and travelled back to her ancestral home of Normandy to greet her father. She left an empress, and still considered herself to be one, but to everyone else she would return only as a German-speaking Anglo-Norman princess. Now, as you will no doubt remember, Matilda's only other sibling, her younger brother William, had died at sea in 1120, and it seemed clear when she returned to her father's court in 1125 that his new marriage to Adeliza of Louvain would not result in any new children. Henry, therefore, was forced to consider the unthinkable, passing off his throne to his daughter. Now, he, of course, hoped that she might have a son who might come of age before his death, and therefore the throne might pass to him, but, with that not guaranteed, he had to ensure that his daughter would be accepted on the throne. He therefore gathered his court in January 1126 and instructed them to swear loyalty to his new heir. Now, the sources are rather divided at this point, and the split is entirely on partisan lines. Those who support Matilda in the upcoming civil war, such as William of Malmesbury, state that the oath was given willingly. Those who supported Stephen says that it was done under duress. First William Malmesbury says that William, quote, Now at this council compelled all the nobility of England, as well as the bishops and abbots, to make the oath, that... If he should die without male issue, they would, without delay or hesitation, accept his daughter Matilda, the late Empress, as their sovereign, observing how, prejudicially to the country, fate had snatched away his son William, to whom the kingdom by right had pertained, and that his daughter still survived, to whom alone the legitimate succession belonged. All, therefore, in this council, who were considered as persons of any note, took the oath. And first of all, William, Archbishop of Canterbury, next the other bishops and the abbots in like manner. The first of the laity who swore was David, King of Scotland, uncle of the Empress, then Stephen, Earl of Mortain, and Boulogne, nephew of King Henry by his daughter Adela. Though William uses the word compel, it can be easily inferred from his account that the oath was taken, if not with relish, then at least without the explicit threat of force. Sources opposed to Matilda, such as the guest of Stefani, tend to relegate the oath's importance. The guest, indeed, keen to absolve Stephen of all blame, explicitly says that it was done under duress, saying, quote, It is acknowledged that any forcible extraction of an oath from anyone has made it impossible for the breaking of that oath to constitute a perjury. That problem, though, was for the future. Henry had managed to get his barons and leading clergy to accept Matilda as his heir. Now he needed to find her a new husband. Getting her a stake in the kingdom and a son to succeed her was vital to the whole enterprise, and he quickly found someone suitable, Geoffrey of Anjou. Geoffrey was the heir to the county of Anjou, a crucial and wealthy possession on the Norman border, and so marrying his daughter and heir into that family would gain her that foothold and a powerful future husband. Geoffrey was 15, tall and handsome, with golden spurs and a reputation for gallantry, but he was the teenage son of a count. Matilda was a 26-year-old empress. Surely this upstart, arrogant child was far below her station. Not according to her father he wasn't, and so, under duress, she married Geoffrey at Rouen in 1128. She endured her situation for less than a year, before getting heartily sick of the man who took the title of count from his father on his return to Anjou, and she left his side with absolutely no intention of enduring any more of his company. 
you can see where she might have gotten her reputation for being a touch stubborn. Henry, though, would not countenance this. His whole succession plan was predicated on Matilda and Geoffrey's marriage, and so, in 1131, he forced a compromise, and the couple were brought back together, and possibly time apart did little to mend the rift, as two children were quickly born, Henry and Geoffrey. Grandsons born, and his daughter's marriage more secure, Henry must have thought that he could now leave the succession matter alone. But, alas, no. Matilda was not a woman to let the dust settle. As part of the marriage settlement, Matilda would bring with her some castles in Normandy, but Henry was reluctant to give them over until, you know, Geoffrey could do so over his dead body. Matilda, conscious that gaining the throne was going to be hard enough due to her being a woman, she needed every castle and soldier she could get her hands on. This led to a rebellion which the Empress helped to back against her father. King and heir at war. But no problem, surely. It would all be sorted out soon, and then they could get on with securing Matilda's position as heir? Well, again, sadly, no. While on campaign against his daughter, Henry fell ill and died. It was now time for Matilda to secure the throne that she had been promised. Unfortunately, Henry's death had come at the worst possible time for Matilda. First of all, the sudden nature of it and the war between her and him meant that things had not been ideally set up for a smooth transition. She was in southern Normandy, but where she needed to be was England. Secondly, she was pregnant. This meant that she could not rush off at full speed to secure her throne. She was forced to stay in Normandy, about as far from the real action as she could be. And thirdly, her chief rival to the throne, Stephen, was not any of those things. Situated in Boulogne and unencumbered with child, it was a short hop over the channel for him to seize the crown, and that is exactly what he did. Stephen's seizure of the throne seems to have taken Matilda totally by surprise, but she very quickly realised the weakness of her position. Even after giving birth, she knew she couldn't just charge into England, she didn't have the support. Even her greatest supporter, her half-brother Robert of Gloucester, was supporting the new regime. So Stephen was allowed to crown himself king and make moves to secure his position on the throne, but Matilda was biding her time. While Stephen fought off rebellions and sought to embed his support in 1136, Matilda was waiting for him to make a mistake and gathering supporters in Normandy. Geoffrey, her husband, led raids into the duchy in early 1136 in combination with an invasion by David, the King of Scots, into the north of England, and sporadic border raiding continued for the next couple of years, but very little progress was made. As much as the Empress was itching to take the throne that she considered hers by right, she just was not in a position to do so. She needed Stephen to screw up, and that he did in 1138. Stephen, bless him, lacked the ruthlessness required when dealing with internal rebellion, and nobles who turned against him were set free after being defeated in battle. In 1138, Stephen and his army landed in Normandy, and took with him Robert of Gloucester to vanquish the forces of the Empress. His campaign was an embarrassing disaster, with the army publicly disintegrating before it even made contact with the enemy. Stephen's lack of ruthlessness had meant that rebelling against the royal regime was not considered a death wish. If you were caught, you would just be set free. This was not good for internal discipline. The near-fatal blow was then delivered, with Robert renouncing his allegiance to the king and adding his powerful possessions in Normandy to that of the Empress and Geoffrey. Stephen was forced to return to England, with the duchy almost overrun by the Angevins. England was hardly better for the king. Yorkshire, Gloucestershire and Kent all rose up, 
with David King of Scots launching a renewed invasion, though that was again bloodily repulsed. Now that she had an army and influential backers, Matilda made her move. She left the continent and led an army into England. It was time for her to claim her throne. With Stephen engaged in repelling revolts everywhere, he could not effect a defence of the coast, and Matilda was able to land at Arundel, seeking refuge with her stepmother Adeliza of Louvain in 1139. As you'll remember from the end of episode 6, Stephen managed to successfully lay siege to Arundel, but allowed Matilda to go free, once again showing he lacked the ruthlessness needed to squash this rebellion. For Matilda, being a woman too may have finally come to her advantage here, as treating a woman as prisoner of war would probably have been bad optics. There is also the argument that Stephen let her go free so that he could take her army on in one single pitch battle. Winner takes it all. This surely would be easier, he thought, than the whack-a-mole campaigns he had been engaging in up till now. Whatever the reason, Matilda was allowed to go free and join her growing army in the west of England. Rather than immediately marching on Stephen, Matilda astutely began recruiting supporters who began to flood to her banner. Her father Henry had promoted a large number of new men to his administration, young nobles of minor rank, who he placed in prominent roles. They were therefore intensely loyal to him as they owed him their position, and now they flocked to the banner of his daughter. Even with these defections, Matilda's army was still too small to take on Stephen's, so they used a hit-and-run strategy, launching feints and counterpunches to threaten some cities before taking off and destroying another before Stephen could regroup. Matilda's forces were led by Robert of Gloucester, one of his subordinates, Mars of Gloucester, and Brian Fitzcount, and while they led these raids, she set up a royal court at Gloucester, where she was in undisputed control. There was no man who could claim authority or precedence over her. She led the household. She directed the war effort. She distributed land and made promises. Matilda wanted to rule England, and was proving here that she had the mettle to do it. It is at this point that the Civil War became a true anarchy, the name for which this conflict has now become known. The total breakdown in royal authority caused by Matilda's invasion meant that there was no real control being exerted outside royal strongholds. But Stephen was confident, so confident in fact, that he rejected peace terms that were negotiated by his wife. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And Robert of Gloucester, that the Empress was prepared to accept. We don't know what these terms were, but one imagines it probably would have given Matilda control of Normandy while Stephen kept England. Matilda was an experienced politician and stateswoman and knew that her chances of winning were still slim at best. A deal was the prudent thing to do. But Stephen, thinking that he could still win out, refused the deal. He thought that because he could lead armies and Matilda could not, this gave him an unassailable advantage. The fact that Matilda was willing to deal, I think, proves that she was not the stubborn, single-minded woman that history has painted her as. Yes, she wanted to be the undisputed ruler of England, but she was astute, knowing that giving a little now could mean gaining a lot more later. She is a woman of nuance, an important thing to remember. In 1141, the decisive encounter finally took place at Lincoln. One of Stephen's more Weasley supporters, Ranulf Earl of Chester, decided to seize Lincoln Castle from the king. It's not at all clear whether he did so for the empress, or whether he was just doing it as a blatant power grab, but whatever the reason, Stephen marched the city to retake the castle, but before he could do so, he found himself pinned between the fortress and the combined armies of the Empress, led by her general Robert of Gloucester. Seeing the weakness of the royal position, Seamus' magnates began to slip across enemy lines, and in the ensuing battle, the king discovered the disadvantage of being able to lead his armies in battle. He put himself in danger of capture. While Matilda was safely behind her own lines, Seamus found himself surrounded by enemies, and though he fought valiantly, shattering his sword in the process, he was knocked out eventually by a flying rock and was taken prisoner by the victorious Angevin forces. This was Matilda's moment of triumph. While her husband annexed Normandy, she marched on London, obtaining the support even of Stephen's influential brother, Henry, Bishop of Winchester. When she arrived in London, it was Henry who made her declaration of victory, which became the official narrative of Matilda's succession. He explained how, while King Henry's desire for Matilda to succeed was legitimate, quote, It seemed tedious to wait for the lady, who made delays in coming to England since her residence was in Normandy. Provision was made for the peace of the country, and my brother was allowed to reign. He then went on to explain the failings of his brother. Quote, no justice was enforced upon transgressors, and peace was at once brought entirely to an end, almost in the very same year, Bishops were arrested and compelled to surrender their property. Abbacies were sold and churches despoiled of their treasure. The advice of the wicked was hearkened to, that of the good either not put into effect or altogether disregarded. For the good of England, Henry concluded, quote, We choose as Lady of England and Normandy the daughter of a king who was a peacemaker, a glorious king, a wealthy king, a good king, without peer in our time, and we promise her faith and support. This wonderful piece of revisionism is clearly positioning Matilda as the person who could bring the good times back, someone who would end the war. He sidesteps the problem of her womanness by associating her with the glory of her father. He also used the title that she would be known by in her brief time in control of the kingdom, Domina Angolorum, or Lady of the English. She would never be known as queen, as that title at that time purely meant wife of a king. Of course, her enemies refused to call her that, merely naming her as the Countess of Anjou, but for now her critics were pushed aside. This was her time to shine. 
She went to Westminster and made preparations for her formal coronation as Domina. Now this was the really tricky part. England was completely divided and her nobility felt that they could dominate the Empress. Surely, as a woman, she would defer to their superior masculine wisdom. She would be the marionette and they the puppet masters. Clearly, they had not spent much time with her, otherwise they would have known that this was not the Matilda way. The problem that she faced, put simply, is that everyone was just a little bit uncomfortable with a woman holding all the executive power. This is clear in the sources. Here is the guest of Stefani, quote, She had brought the greater part of the kingdom under her sway, and on this account she was mightily puffed up and exalted in spirit. He continues, quote, She did not rise respectfully as she should have when they, the nobility, bowed down before her or agree to what they asked, but repeatedly sent them away, rebuffing them by an arrogant answer and refusing to hearken to their words. And by this time, she no longer relied on their advice as she should have and promised them, but arranged everything as she herself thought fit and according to her own arbitrary will. Henry of Huntingdon was no more of a fan, stating that she, quote, was lifted up into a state of insufferable arrogance and she alienated the hearts of almost everyone. Helen Castor, in her book She-Wolves, contrasts this depiction with one made of her father Henry I in the Chronicle of William of Malmesbury. Quote, if any of the more important lords, forgetting their oath of allegiance, swerved from the narrow path of loyalty, he used at once to recall the strays by prudent counsel and unremitting efforts, bring the rebellious back to towing the line by the severity of the wounds that he inflicts on them. Nor could I easily recount the long-continued labours he expended on such people, leaving no action unpunished which could not be committed by the disaffected without some form of impairment of his royal dignity. Now, as Castor goes on to say, Henry's and Matilda's contact here is the same. They both demanded unswerving obedience, and should that not be given, they equally demanded swift retribution. The only difference was that Henry was a man, and Matilda was a woman. Well, I'm not sure that's 100% accurate. I think that it's an open question whether Matilda, no matter what she did, could have secured her position on the throne, but I do think that she made it needlessly hard for herself. If we continue to use the example of her father... He had spent the early years of his reign, which also began with civil war, making very, very nice with his nobles. Only once he had totally crushed his opposition could he begin to demand the total obedience that he so craved. Matilda was, in possibly, a far stronger position than Henry had found himself from the start, yet she, perhaps, cognizant of the fact that any perceived concession that she showed could be exploited as being an example of the weakness of her sex, gave no ground at all. Her sex trapped her in a sense, and her actions sowed the seeds of her downfall. By not giving way to the counsel of her advisers, or showing sufficient deference to her senior nobility, she was rapidly beginning to create opposition, and nowhere was more opposed to her than the city in which she was residing. Now what exactly it was that she did here is debated. Opposition chroniclers state that she demanded a punitive tax on Londoners, whereas sympathetic ones simply state that they never really liked her in the first place. It is here that the guest of Stefani really sticks the knife in when it describes her reaction to the Londoners refusing to pay a tax. When they did so, quote, She, with a grim look, her forehead wrinkled into a frown, every trace of a woman's gentleness removed from her face, blazed into an unbearable fury. Her advisers, especially Bishop Henry, alienated and the economic engine of the kingdom in London moving towards open revolt, Matilda's position began to unravel. Let's not also forget that the army of Matilda of Boulogne was sitting across the Thames from the capital, 
inciting rebellion and waiting to pounce. Matilda of Boulogne then ordered her troops in to ravage the land around the city, while the Empress did little to prevent her from doing so. It is interesting to note the guest Stefani conveniently fails to criticise the Queen for behaving like a man, going as far as to praise her for, quote, forgetting the weakness of sex and a woman's softness, she bore herself with the valour of the man. The only difference, it seems, is that she did it in the service of her husband. The Empress was doing it in the service of herself. Also, you know, blatant bias. London, finally, on the day of the Empress's coronation, could take it no more. It rose up and ousted Matilda from the city. She had to do so in such a hurry that she had to leave a triumphal feast on the table at Westminster Hall. Now it was her turn to see supporters slip away, with the serpentine Bishop Henry once again defecting. Furious, Matilda turned her army towards Winchester, but in an almost mirror image of the Battle of Lincoln, her army found itself pinned against the city it was besieging and an oncoming relief army. Matilda managed to escape, but her brother and general Robert of Gloucester was captured. Without Robert, she had no hope, so she was forced to trade him for King Stephen. 1141 was quite a year. Normandy was still hers, with Geoffrey ruling as de facto duke, but England was rapidly slipping into a new state of stalemate. Matilda realised after her experience in London that it may well be impossible for her to rule England, so for the rest of the Civil War, she instead fought on behalf of her son Henry. But for Henry to inherit, she still needed to win the war, and that was far more easily said than done. Now, I'm not going to go into tremendous detail about the rest of the Civil War, which blew hot and cold for the next 13 years. I will instead focus only on the major events. In 1142, Robert of Gloucester went to Normandy to seek reinforcements from Geoffrey, and Stephen, showing uncharacteristic speed and guile, managed to block the Earl from returning by closing the ports, and then went to besiege Matilda in Oxford, one of her chief strongholds. With no army available to relieve her, Matilda was trapped. After three months of siege, she realised her position was hopeless. Now, at this point, most people would have either waited it out or negotiated a surrender. Indeed, that is exactly what Matilda had done four years before at Arundel, but Matilda was now a different woman. She knew she had to escape somehow, and so she launched a daring break for it. It was a harsh December, and the moat around the castle was frozen, and the surrounding countryside was blanketed with snow. She wrapped herself in warm white clothes, and with just three bodyguards, slipped out through a window and attempted to escape during a snowstorm. Their luck held, and their audacious escape was successful, and they reached the town of Abingdon, where they found horses to take her to safety. William of Malmesbury labelled her escape, quote, a manifest miracle of God. Even the guest Stefani was impressed. Quote, I do not know whether it was to heighten the greatness of her fame in time to come, or by God's judgment to increase more vehemently the disturbance of the kingdom, but never have I read of another woman so luckily rescued from so many mortal foes and from the threat of danger so great. In the coming years, she would lose both Miles and then Robert of Gloucester and Brian Fitzcount as they died in her service, but she managed to continue the fight as their strongholds in the west of England were too strong for Stephen to take, and she could not dislodge Stephen from the southeast or the north of England. The loss of her generals forced her to take a far more cautious approach. She was now playing the long game, waiting for her son to come of age. She left England in 1148, going to her stronghold of Normandy, where her husband Geoffrey had managed to get himself formally invested as Duke by the King of the French. This meant that any noble with lands both in Normandy and England could not afford to nail his colours to the mast of either side, 
further entrenching the stalemate. With Stephen and Matilda ageing, it soon became clear that this would be a fight between their eldest sons, Henry Fitzempress and Eustace of Boulogne. Henry made the first move, imprudently launching an invasion of England with only a few followers, and was extraordinarily fortunate to escape with his life when Stephen allowed him to return to Normandy. Stephen really could never bring himself to keep either the Empress or her son in captivity, and once again chose mercy over expediency. In 1149, Stephen was punished for his mercy. In 1149, Henry again landed in England, this time with a larger army, and he now had a clear purpose – win the crown for himself. Matilda had essentially retired from the military side of the war. While Henry made a great reputation for himself and Stephen once again found himself on the back foot, Matilda looked on proudly from Normandy. In 1151, her husband Geoffrey died, and showing her willingness to solely promote the cause of her son, she immediately named him as the new Duke, not taking the title back into her hands, as was her right. Stephen, now an old man without the support and advice of his late wife, finally knew he had to deal, naming Henry as his heir and then promptly dying the next year. Matilda had won, but in order to achieve it, she had to give up the thing for which she was fighting. When the war started, she was not fighting for Henry, she was fighting for herself. In 1141, she had achieved her dream, but her reign was over in a matter of months. Now, in her moment of triumph, she had to be content to let the throne pass to her son. She would not be Lady of the English, She was instead the Queen Mother. Here, she transitioned from being a trailblazer to being a classic, if domineering, elder stateswoman. She was unwilling to submit to her daughter-in-law, Eleanor of Aquitaine, and so essentially took on her political functions. When Henry was away, she, not Eleanor, ruled as regent and dispensed justice in his name. Henry was very happy for her to do so, as he knew the value of his mother's decades of experience, especially in diplomatic matters, using her contacts in the imperial court, for example, to settle a dispute over a sacred relic held at Reading Abbey. As she entered her 60s, Matilda began to retire from public life, beginning to match the model set by her mother of being a religious patron, though she was still using her contacts at foreign courts to support her son's administration. Unfortunately for this period, our sources are somewhat scant, and they do not pay much attention to the ageing empress. Finally, on the 10th of September, 1167, Matilda died at the Abbey of Beck. So, what can we make of the life of this utterly extraordinary woman? We can see within her that she was very much her father's daughter. A strong, indomitable woman, she forcefully pushed her agenda and used tremendous skill in almost achieving the impossible dream of being a female ruler of England. The criticisms of her arrogance and haughtiness were the inescapable price for her attempting to achieve that dream, and she did control-ish England, albeit for only a few months. Still, she was the only woman in medieval England to gain the throne, though some historians, as I said, do not count her on the list of monarchs. I do, however, as coronation was not considered a requirement for being a ruler, and she did achieve pretty much everything that was required for being a monarch, only missing the admittedly rather key requirement of lasting more than a year. The thing, though, that I think is missing from most descriptions of Matilda is recognition of her ability to compromise. Her actions in those months in London have given her a reputation for being completely belligerent and inflexible, but that was far from the case. Remember that she was willing to make a deal in the weeks before the Battle of Lincoln, and eventually she did give up her claim in favour of that of her son. 
These are not the actions of an unswerving woman. She took her chances and went for it, but she did not do it at the expense of the wider picture. This, I think, is probably the most impressive thing about her, and if she had only shown a little of this while in London, she may well have won the throne for herself, undisputedly, saving countless lives. She was, in order, a princess, an empress, a countess, a king, a rebel, and a queen mother. That is quite the resume, but all things were not equal to her successors, and that is reflected by the inscription on her grave. Quote, Great by birth, greater by marriage, greatest by her offspring. Here lies the daughter, wife, and mother of Henry. Next time, we're going to finish our little duo of supplementals by looking at possibly the most famous queen of the Middle Ages. More virtuous than Matilda of Scotland, more learned than Eleanor of Castile, and more scandalous than Eleanor of Aquitaine. I speak, of course, of the Queen of King Arthur, Guinevere. Stories about this fictional queen abound throughout the Middle Ages, and yet the image of her that is portrayed can tell us a great deal about all the real queens that we have already looked at, and the many who are yet to come. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.